Hi, friends. I'm Tierney. I'm Katie. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. first katie case today hi that's me so we're actually gonna get right into the cocktail this is basically just an excuse to drink tequila for me (laughs) reality wise you're gonna get the reference later on in the case it's gonna make more sense but hello this is tyranny from the future except for when you listen to this it'll be tyranny from the past so like that's kind of weird i'm popping in here as i'm editing because we decided to change the recipe for our brush fire shot this week And so I'm going to be reading what Katie told me to say so that we can get this uploaded for you guys. All right, so what you're going to do is pour a tequila shot, and then you're going to place a slice of lime carefully in the middle of it so it's on top of the glass. You're going to sprinkle some sugar over that, and then you're going to take some Southern Comfort, or what we like to call SoCo, and it needs to be 100 proof so that it can be set on fire. You're just going to pour that over top of the lime. Then you're going to very carefully set it ablaze and let it burn for a little bit. So then once the flame is burned for a little bit of time, you're going to blow it out. And then once it's not too hot anymore, you'll squeeze the lime into the shot. And obviously you'll take the shot and then bite into the lime for like kind of a smoky, limey flavor to help chase it. All right, back to our regularly scheduled programming. So today we're going to talk about Edward Theodore Gein. He was born August 27, 1906, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Alax, bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that for him. It's pretty cool. Just kidding. He's kind of terrifying. So I don't know if anyone has heard of Edward Theodore Gein. You must be living under a rock if you haven't. He's inspired movies and books, over 50 of them, including Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Motel Hell, and Deranged. So an infamous one again this week. Yes. I've heard of most of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's also known as the Body Snatcher, the Plainfield Ghoul, the Ghoul of Plainfield, and the Plainfield Butcher. Last but not least, the Grandfather of Gore. So with super hardcore nicknames like this, you're going to think that he's had a ton of victims, right? I would assume, yeah. Nah. He only was convicted and only actually admitted to killing two people. Do they think there were more? or They actually do. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Hmm, that's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. So what makes Ed Gein just so infamous? Let's find out. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So we're going to take it back to Ed's childhood. Ed's earliest memory was his mother, Augusta, asking him to go one block to pick up some bread at the store. Somehow, little Ed lost the money and ended up going back home empty-handed, and he was just so distraught, he was crying. And his mother looked down on little Ed and said, You dreadful child. Only a mother could love you. So she was great. Yeah, she sounds like mother of the year over here. Yeah, keep in mind, he was seven when this happened. So his parents were just super loving, you know, it's just an awesome childhood, super (laughs) great things. Ed's parents, George and Augusta, married in 1900. George, his father, was an alcoholic. He was kind of a douchebag. He barely worked. He couldn't hold a job. And there are reports that he beat kids, beat his kids. So he was pretty much a douchebag. Augusta, Ed's mother, started hating George very early in the marriage. She ended up having Henry, her first child, only a year after they were wed. Now, you might be asking yourself, why didn't Augusta just, like, divorce him? She didn't have to have a kid. Like, why is she doing all of this? Augusta was absolutely crazy religious. She was nuts, and she used the Bible and perverted it in a way that she could be dominant. And she scared the kids and her husband. She would often pray for George's death. And that's just, you know, great growing up with. Yeah, that sounds like a really healthy relationship. Yeah, it's just really loving. Super neat. Although that she was kind of a crazy bitch, she was also super, super successful. She had an awesome grocery business and just really 
was the only person in the house that took care of the kids that worked. So she was a kind of a badass bitch, but a crazy badass bitch. So about five years later, Augusta gave birth to little Ed, and their childhood was pretty fucked up. She was crazy religious, as I mentioned earlier. She would manipulate the boys with the Bible. She would say things about how evil and wicked people are, and especially women. She preached that women were sin, they were horrible, they were loose, they were absolutely shit. So that's just great. You know, women are just cunts, apparently. Yeah. Good advice, I guess. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> solid. She threatened the boys with saying things like, you're going to hell if, or if you don't listen to me, you're going straight to hell, or you're going to end up like your father, and he's going to end up in hell, so you guys are all just going to be in hell, pardoning up. <laughs> oh, that's just Catholic. That's yeah. Catholic school <laughs> this teaches is you like, the exact same thing. It's pretty fucked up, and I wish they didn't teach the Bible like this, but... It is what it is. So she used all of this to instill fear in the boys and the father. She would tell the boys that sex is the biggest sin. It was only meant to be between two married people and only to be used to procreate. And if you enjoyed it, you're going to hell because that's a sin. She told the boys just masturbate. So because of the overly controlling mother... And because he did have a kind of weird growth upon his eye, so it kind of looked like he had a lazy eye. He was also super shy and super feminine, which was not allowed back then. He didn't have any friends growing up. If Ed talked about a friend at home, Augusta would be like, well, you know that they're sin because they didn't do A, B, and C, or their mother is loose, stuff like that. Just really messed up. so rude. I know. She was such a hater, honestly. She was just... (laughs) She was just mad at the world. Yeah, apparently. So when Ed was eight years old, his mother wanted to get away from the quote-unquote city in... Lacrosse, Wisconsin is a city? <laughs> yeah, apparently it's a city, so... Interesting. Just so, kidding. Like, where did they go that's more rural than lacrosse? <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. So they went to Plainfield, which had about 700 people in it. So... I know a few high schools with 700 people in it, so that's just nuts. She bought this farm in Plainfield, and it was 195 acre, which is kind of insane because George did not work at all. So she used the proceeds of her grocery business to buy this huge house for them and huge farm. So realistically, she just wanted to isolate them. The closest neighbor was about a quarter mile away or a mile. I got differing information. So the boys weren't really able to do anything. They had to wake up, help on the farm, pray, go to school, help on the farm, listen to their crazy-ass mother preach about, you know, just whores, I guess, and then pray some more and go to bed and repeat it. That's all he did. In school, he did not thrive socially or academically. This was super hard for him, especially because he was so feminine and he just didn't feel right in his body, said. He did enjoy reading, especially adventure books, which makes sense because he couldn't do anything else. It's not like he can live out any adventures whatsoever. That's why I read. (laughs) When Ed was 14 years old, he ended up dropping out of school right before eighth grade. So now his days turned into wake up, pray, work on the farm, pray, listen to his crazy ass mom, sleep. Wake up, pray, (laughs) pray, drink. Pray. (laughs) Drop a beat. (laughs) So after they dropped out of school, the two boys were completely isolated, just secluded with Augusta and an alcoholic father. They would just constantly bicker. They would constantly fight, just all of this abuse constantly. So it's basically just molding a murderer. During this time, Augusta grew more and more paranoid and crazy and more and more crazy abusive towards everyone in her life. In 1940, George Gein, the father, dies from respiratory failure linked to pneumonia. So after George dies, the boys are now well into their 30s. Henry is almost 40. They were still secluded, but now the boys had to go into town to work any odd job they could to help their mother. The townspeople of Plainfield would later describe Henry and Ed as hardworking, trustworthy, good guys. Ed got extra money by doing a few different things, like just 
helping around people's house. It was said that if anyone asked Ed, at, if they saw him, they were just like, hey, do you mind coming over? My door is squeaking. He would go and fix it. And just really helpful, really trustworthy, apparently. And people even trusted him with their kids. He was a babysitter. Imagine having Ed fucking Gein as a babysitter. That's just wild. What a fucking story. Whose grandparent is out there telling them this story? <laughs> just like, when I was your age, I was babysat by a serial killer. And I went <laughs> to school up uphill both ways in the snow. With no, with no shoes. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so he was super, super great with kids and teenagers. I would guess because he related better to them. But my guess is the fact that he was isolated by the time that he was 14 and up. So he didn't know how to act any differently. And it would later be said that Ed did not know how to be around women, knowing that they're sin, knowing that they're horrible. He would often just stay in certain places and just stare at them. Just stare at them for like hours. Like I hate that. No, everyone hates that. They hated that. In 1942, World War II was still going on, and even though he was 36, Ed was still eligible for the draft. So he had to travel all the way, all 150 miles, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This would be the farthest Ed would ever go in his lifetime. Imagine never leaving Wisconsin. Yeah. (laughs) So sorry. At least they have the Packers. (laughs) So, obviously, the people in the draft were just like, Ed, what the fuck? Just leave. Because they said things like he was very skinny, he wasn't physically fit, and he definitely seemed a little mentally off. So, they just assumed that it was pretty solid not to let him anywhere near guns. Yeah, I I think I second that that motion. I wonder why. Petition for Ed Gein not to own a gun. (laughs) All in favor say aye. Aye. Petition go. for everyone like Ed Gein to never own a gun. Aye. Gun control laws. <laughs> so now George is dead. It's only Henry, Ed, and his mother, Augusta. In early 1944, Henry started quote-unquote bad-mouthing Augusta. Henry was super concerned that his mother and Ed's relationship grew to be uncomfortable. Pretty creepy. Ed worshipped his mother. He was absolutely obsessed with his mother. So Henry disrespecting her or talking back to her, Ed didn't like that. He wanted to stop that. Oh, but same though. I would also defend my mother. Yeah, but maybe just she. He, Henry was just like, "Hey guys, maybe don't rub her there. You know, she's asking for a back massage. Why is her dick out?" No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I was gonna say that seems like some evidence right there. <laughs> No, it was well known that this was just not right, and everyone would later say that. Even though that Ed and Henry were in their 30s, well into their 30s, Augusta would still have them sitting at her feet, just preaching to them like they would when they were younger. I hate that. Everyone hates that. That sounds so creepy. Like, imagine, like, 40-year-old men, like... Like children. They didn't know how to grow up. <sighs> Chills. Yeah. Same. So it sounds like she stunted their growth. Oh, 100%. She wanted to isolate them. She wanted mm-hmm. them to stay babies, I guess, and stay so innocent. In March of that same year, 1944, Henry mysteriously died while fighting a brush fire near the family home with Ed. Ed and Henry ended up fighting this fire, and at some point, Ed said that he just lost sight of Henry. So after it was out, he called the police and said, oh, my brother's missing. Why did he wait till after the fire was out to call the police? Shouldn't I think, he have, like, called 911 when the fire started? Yeah, I guess. Um, I, I assume that he was just like, oh, Henry's out there helping on the other side. And then after it, he was just like, wait, the f- where the fuck's Henry? I mean, if they're that secluded, you might have to fight the fire yourself. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because it was long ago. But, like, if, this if I saw a fire, sense, I would just, just immediately call 911. Yeah, I guess. So when the police arrived, Ed was just like, what's up, please, and just started walking, and he led the police directly to, quote-unquote, missing Henry's body, which was nowhere near where the actual fire was. He wasn't touching any of it, and it was said that Henry had some real bad bruising on his head. Wait, why? Why would he have bruising on his head from a fire? 
Yeah, it's pretty weird. And it's really weird that Ed led the police directly to his body. Yeah, I thought he lost him in the fire. Yeah, and, and then... when <laughs> when Ed was questioned about this, he said, it's funny how that works. Uh, so, yeah, that makes sense. So did they, like, question him any further or anything? Absolutely not, because, I mean, they just lost the father, and now they're losing Henry. So they just thought that Ed wasn't capable of any of this. He would not be able to do this because he was just so loving, so trustworthy, so shy, and he was so small. It's not like he could overpower his big brother. That's such a so dangerous mindset for people to have. Uh-huh. I feel like there are so many cases where it's like, oh, like this person could never do that. Yeah. It's like, well, you never know, person. Mm-mm. And there were so many huge red flags. He was waving them like a banner in front of the police's face. <laughs> oh, like, just, hey, check me out. Oh, just hold the fuck up because it gets worse. Wisconsin police are wild. They're too busy eating cheese curds, I guess. In the 1900s. Yes. They're probably a lot better now. We don't know that. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Wisconsin police, if you're listening, hit us up. Let us know about your current operations. <laughs> I'm sure you're great at it. So because Ed would not be able to do any of this, quote unquote, this was ruled as just a freak accident. Now Henry and George are gone. So it's just Augusta and Ed alone, secluded on the farm. I hate that. Everyone hates that. Luckily. Except Ed. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, Mama, Ed's I'm, living. I'm here. He's living his fantasy. It's just us. He's oh. living his best life. Yes, girl. <laughs> oh, he'll he'll live a little more. Um, <laughs> this didn't last long, as Augusta would suffer her first stroke later that year, the same year that Henry died. Ed spent the next full year taking care of his mother, waiting on her hand and foot, and just made sure that she's comfortable, just tried his best to help. He honestly probably loved that. I know, super creepy. But she ended up dying in December of 1945. Rip. R.I.P. Ed obviously did not handle this well at all. He was said to be inconsolable at the funeral, like a lot of people would, but people would describe him as just not right and being just way too childish about it, hmm. which, you know, you can't really understand what goes through someone's head because... Right, you, know, you never know how you're going to act. Like, I would be absolutely devastated. But yeah. Oh, yeah, if I would this be a was, complete mess. Yeah, but if his behavior alarmed people, then maybe it was really, like, mm-hmm. a lot. And everyone would describe him. If anyone brought up his mother or the word Augusta, he would just start bawling and became that little schoolboy again the same way that he was at the funeral, That's which so is super sad. sad. Yeah. So everything that Ed ever knew was gone. His brother's gone. His dad's gone. His precious mother is gone. So he's completely alone. He's just secluded on this huge farm. He ended up auctioning off uh, some livestock, the rest of the livestock that they had, just to get some extra money. So it's not like he was tending to anything. He was just working those same odd jobs. Ed made a quote-unquote shrine for his mother. He completely boarded off her room, and the sitting area that she used to preach in. He did this, like, museum style, so it would just stay exactly how she left it. Yeah. It was later said that the rest of the house was absolutely a wreck, and they're just, these two rooms were just absolutely pristine. It was at this time that Ed started looking at some really gruesome literature, Like, it would be Nazi cannibalism, shit like that. And he started looking up medical books. Ed was also super into the news and true crime, and he absolutely loved obituaries. I was going to say same, and then you said he loved obituaries, and I was like, "Mm, nah. Yeah, he's weird. (laughs) He started getting obsessed, kind of, with this case of, it wasn't really a case, it was actually a really courageous woman. Her name is Christine Gorgensen. And this was the 1950s. She was the first, well, first broadcasted American trans woman. Super, super awesome. Snaps for Christine. (laughs) She ended up getting the surgeries, um, a sex reassignment surgery in Denmark and Sweden. Ed Gein was absolutely inspired by this. He wanted to know what it would be like to be female because he did struggle with that. He would be willing to do anything to feel like a woman. 
His entire life, Augustus said that this, what he was feeling, was a sin. And he would be damned to hell if he had these feelings. So he just put it in his pocket and never told anyone about it. He never did anything. He actually thought at one point about cutting off his own penis. Obviously, he decided against it because what the fuck? I mean, I obviously don't have a penis, but like, ow. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I know any man that would be like, yeah, I'd cut off my own penis. Yep. Pretty so that must be like, <laughs> I don't know, like an extreme oh, yeah. need. So Ed would go and visit his mother and just, you know, like everyone visiting their deceased mother would do, started thinking about the other women that were just a few feet below. Excuse me? Not using their bodies anymore. Oh, God. Yep. So it's about to get fucked. Buckle in. Get on your straps, safety straps. Make sure your airbags are working because this shit's going to get wild. <laughs> but seriously, make sure that you're um, sitting down. <laughs> As I said, Ed was absolutely obsessed with obituaries and how a woman died. He started thinking about this a lot and decided to start to dig up grave and began to grave Rob. Sorry. What is he taking from the graves? Like their clothes or their jewelry? This man was taking parts of bodies and actual full bodies. I'm sorry. Ew. Yeah. What was he doing with them? Oh, we'll get into that. Oh, Christ. Yep. You're going to love it. Ed would look at obituaries for a middle-aged woman that resembled his mother or people that he was attracted to because that's the same thing for him. Hashtag mommy issues. Hashtag huge mommy issues. He would later admit he went to 40 different cemeteries to get the quote-unquote right pick. Yeah. He ended up saying that he only actually took bodies or body parts one-third of the times he went. Other times he just thought about it. He said that he never had sex with the bodies because he couldn't get past the smell. But he did masturbate to it because oh that's normal. I was going to say, oh, okay, maybe he's... <laughs> and then oh, maybe it was just because really of the so smell. I'm really glad he answered that question. It was burning inside of me. I really needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys ready? I don't know. <laughs> what was he doing with the bodies? He was making human skin suits with the bodies to wear. I don't even know what to say to that. Like, what? Yeah, so he actually had these super cute outfits that would cover his face. It would cover his scalp. So these were real women's faces. They were sewed together. So like a Halloween mask, but like of skin. Yep. And that would be connected to scalp because you can't, you know, feel like a woman without hair. God, are you dumb? That's horrifying. It's absolutely petrifying. Although I... I kind of admire the craftsmanship in his stuff. Oh, he was like, very he- talented. He was so good at sewing, and this would always be known. He was sick at sewing. I mean, not He could I- actually make some really cool things. While he was um, incarcerated, he actually made a few women's handbags. Out of skin? No, they didn't, they didn't really let him. Uh, Super well. That was honestly my next question. <laughs> Out of what? At the Ed Keen handbag line. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to describe these suits a little bit. So, as I said, he had scalp, some hair, which was a wig. It made sense. And he had it all over his arms. He had it on his waist. He had it on his legs. And it was actually like a corset. So, he could put it really, really, really tight because he wanted it to feel like his own skin. See, that's really creepy and horrifying. But Oh, it gets worse. The craftsmanship of his thinking. Okay. Like I'm thinking he threw the, he drew this out mm-hmm. like a fashion designer. Yeah, he really, actually used I don't a- I don't want anybody to make <laughs> no, a skin don't suit do that, ever guys. again. Don't be a copycat. But I'm just be saying. original. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this we'll guy's the, skills. We'll put the patterns on our Instagram if you want to download them. <laughs> he used a tailor's dummy to get it this tight and get to get it perfect. He was super sick at sewing. See? This is kind of a trigger warning, guys. Um, it's really disgusting. And honestly, after I read this and after I found out it was true, I took a step back and I was just like, should I fucking do this case? Because it's really fucked up. Oh, God. This man took bodies of deceased women and he cut out the reproductive organs. So he had labias and just all of that goods. And he would put it in women's underwear and then wear it. He would pop it on and wear it 
so he could feel what it would be like to have a vagina. My instinct was to grab my own vagina and <laughs> yeah, hold just it for keep protection. that. <laughs> like, make sure it doesn't Holy. run away. But my other thought was next week, Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> oh, we should do Lorena. We're gonna go the other way. <laughs> so he would wear this disgusting suit around the house, and he it it was a lot like Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, and he was just like in the mirror, and he was just like. I would fuck me. Like, that's exactly oh what he was doing. It's absolutely disgusting and really, really spooky. It's also sad that these are the lengths he had to go to oh, to feel 100%. comfortable in oh, not my. his own skin, but yeah. in a skin. Mm-hmm. So he had all of these just random body parts all over his house. He strung some heads, things like that. And you might be wondering, how did no one notice? Well, they did. As I said, he was super good with kids and good with teenagers. Ed's only friend was a man named Bobby Hill. Not from King of the Hill, but just a teenage boy named Bobby Hill. Ed had Bobby over and they were just hanging out. And Bobby saw a quote-unquote shrunken head and asked Ed about it. Ed said that his cousin was in the war and he got that from a random island. And it was just really unsettling for Bobby. So Bobby went to his parents And he said, oh, hey, guys, there's a fucking, like, whole ass head in Ed's house. Like, what's going on? And the parents were just like, oh, that good old Ed, always playing tricks. Um, You have to keep in mind, Ed was always known as Oddball. Every single interview that I saw, everyone described him like that. Just a bit of an oddball. He had some dark humor, but he was a bit of an oddball. I swear, while I was researching, if I heard the word oddball one more time, I was going to just lose it. Turn it into a drinking game and take a shot. <laughs> take, take a shot every time I say so, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. Ed didn't think that grave robbing and making these suits was him doing anything bad. He thought that this all was okay because he didn't understand the logic behind how gross this was. Like a lot of serial killers, what they were doing just wasn't enough. He needed a euphoric feeling again, so he thought that he would step it up. He would seek out women that resembled his mother in physicality and how they ran businesses, and he would stalk them and just watch them. And he would watch them for years to really get it in his head. Did he want their bodies too? Or oh, 100%. Oh, okay. He also thought that he was doing work from God, too. Oh, yeah. This was God's intent for so, you to stalk women, kill them, and then wear their skin. Oh, 100%. While he was making these skin suits, he fell deeper in a psychotic break. He started seeing ravens drenched in blood. He started seeing faces and leaves. He started hearing his mother's voice while he was falling asleep. So, yeah, he was doing well. Instead of getting help, he decided to stalk women. And look for human skin suits. He wanted to pick them out. Well, what what year are we in? The 50s? Oh, yeah. I don't know that it was okay for you to seek help for something like that at that point in time. True. Ed had eight years of complete isolation. So obviously he was going to go nuts. He still saw women as sin, though. This brings us to Mary Hogan, an owner of a local tavern. It was said that she had mob ties and she was divorced twice. She was sin. Augusta and Mary looked very similar and this pissed Ed off because his mother was so pure and she was everything. And then there's this woman, Mary, that looked like her and she was also a businesswoman, but she was sin. He hated that and he decided to do the work of God and do a little something. This brings us to December 8th, 1954. He would shoot her in the head while she's closing up shop, load her body into his truck. He brought her back to the farm. He cut her up. He used some of the parts of her, but then what he couldn't use, he burned her. Ed was a patron at the local tavern for a very long time before this. At this time, a lot of people were going missing around Wisconsin, so Mary's disappearance was just lumped with all of this, because that makes sense. And as I said, no one would expect Ed to do anything like this, even though that he was seen being one of the last customers at the tavern. Now, I'm like curious about these other women. Were they ever linked to Ed or linked to somebody else? I think you said people. Okay, cool. 
But were there there were men and women? Yeah, that went missing. Oh, oh, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So uh, to the police, you know, people that were really young were going missing. An eight year old girl, a fifteen year old girl who was babysitting in lacrosse went missing. Uh, these two fellows went missing. So none of this would be linked to him even later on. But it is speculated that something is up. Did they ever solve those cases? No. And um, I'll get into this a little bit later, but everyone just assumed that Ed did it at first until they started really taking account of what they found in the oh. house. Okay. Okay. So the Wisconsin police are really good at assuming. Yes, absolutely. You know what they say when you assume? Mm-hmm. You make an ass out of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thanks, Moira. <laughs> this is super spooky to me because uh, Ed was very attracted to Mary. And he was attracted to her because of how nice she was to him. And she was just being a good bartender. That's it. And it ended up getting her killed, which I hate because I'm a kind of nice bartender sometimes. Yeah, I feel like there are so many instances where female bartenders are just doing their job, like Mm -hmm. being nice because they work in customer service and men are like... Ooh, she loves me because she called me sweetie or mm-hmm. something. Like, I'm oh, gonna... she wants to fuck. Yeah. I'm going to wear her skin. <laughs> oh, she wanted more tip. Just tip her well. Oh, my yeah. God. Tip your bartenders. Please. <laughs> Don't be creepy. No. End of story. Yep. It would never cross the minds of the people of Plainfield that Ed would be able to do this, especially because he said he hated the sight of blood. He said later when he had to kill, he went into a daze and didn't remember it at all. After all this is going on, Ed would often joke and say things like, Mary ain't missing. She's down at the house right now. And this didn't raise any fucking flags because everyone was just like, oh, Ed, you're so silly. Oh my God. I mean, I guess nothing raised any flags for the people of Wisconsin. No, they're just too busy. Like, they're just like, oh, you want some cheese curds? <laughs> Ed's like, yeah, she's in my house right now. I killed her. And they're like, <laughs> oh, Ed, Ed, that Ed silly little He's fuck. such an oddball. <laughs> What a Midwest word, too. Hardball? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We would call him a freak. Yeah. (laughs) They were so nice about it. (laughs) He's just odd. Ed would not kill again for another three years when a hardware store owner named Bernice Warden would catch his attention. Bernice apparently, quote-unquote, stole her husband from another woman. The other woman ended up committing suicide because she wasn't able to handle the end of this relationship. And Ed hated this. He blamed her and it didn't help that he was very much attracted to her. After all, she looked a lot like Augusta. On Saturday, November 16th at 8 a.m., first day of deer season, Ed went into the hardware store that Bernice owned. He went and got antifreeze. Now, the day before, Ed went into the hardware store and talked to Bernice, Bernice's son, Frank, And asked him if he was going to go deer hunting the next day and if he would be out all day. Frank didn't think that this was weird because every man went deer hunting on the first day especially. And Ed kept on pushing that, okay, so Bernice is going to be here alone, right? And Frank was just like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. He also asked about the price of antifreeze and told him that he would be there the next day. Everyone made fun of Ed for never hunting. After all, he quote-unquote hated the sight of blood. So Ed walks in. He gets antifreeze. Bernice writes him a receipt because this is old-timey and they didn't have printers. She writes him a receipt with his name on it that says, okay, he bought a mason jar of antifreeze because back then they had to fill it up for you. And after this, Ed walks out of the store. But for some reason, he decided to go back in the store. He walked in, and Bernice is just like, oh, you forgot something, Ed? And he was just like, yeah, I've been forgetting a lot recently. You know, I was thinking about trading in my raffle. Bernice is just like, oh, yeah, Ed, yours is pretty old. And Ed goes, oh, can I see that one there in the case? Bernice, not thinking anything weird, she was just like, yeah, of course, Ed. Hands it to him. And she turns to look at a car outside. She's looking out the window. And Ed takes a twenty-two shell from his pocket and loads the gun. Bernice, still looking out of the window, says, I don't like Chevrolets. Ed aims and shoots her. So her last words were, I don't like Chevrolets. So at 5 p.m. after the son comes back from deer hunting, he finds his mother and the register missing. 
from the store with a few spots of blood everywhere. Frank calls the police and started searching around desperately. I found some reports that he was a sheriff, so this would make sense that he would be looking for clues, stuff, stuff like that, while he was waiting for the police. He found a receipt for antifreeze bought by Ed Gain. He also remembered the conversation that Ed had the day before. He knew that Ed was responsible. Now, there were two groups of police. One went and tried to find Ed Gein, and another were very unlucky and, and were appointed to go to the farm. Ed ended up being at his best friend, Bobby Hill's house. He was in his truck with Bobby in the passenger seat, and they said that they were on the way to go see what all the ruckus was about at the hardware store. When the police got to Ed, the cops said, very gently, I think you did something, and I think you need to come with me. Ed replies immediately and says, I think someone's trying to frame me. So, as I said, there was one group of police that went to go get Ed, and a very unlucky group of two officers went to the farm. They knocked on the front door, and it was locked, so they went to the back to find a cellar, and the door was unlocked, so they decided to go in. Keep in mind this was, you know very long time ago so there was no electricity no running water nothing so all they had to look around was flashlights there was no running water in the 1950s not at the farm also oh. no <laughs> warrants were needed in uh, the 1950s apparently not oh. Interesting. i mean they had enough evidence really hmm. so they waved the flashlights all around the cellar one officer felt something brush up against his coat and he turned around and he put the flashlight up now, the officer at first just thought it was a deer, but then he would look at it harder. He found a pale white carcass hanging upside down, swinging nope. gently nope. from a three-foot-long sharpened wooden crossbar. Nope. <laughs> it was clean through her ankles. Her arms were tied onto the ankles, and her body was cut open from crotch to sternum. The insides of her were completely scooped out. It was said that it looked like there was just no blood whatsoever, like it's been washed, and she was drained of all of her blood. Her head was also, which I think is really the most gruesome part, her head was completely removed, and it was missing. So at this point, the officers were just like, yo, fuck this, we're getting into that house. I'll start in the bedroom. They found an old, soiled mattress. In between the mattress, there was a burlap sack. An officer reached in and saw about a two-foot thing of twine when he pulled it out, her head had two nails that were driven deep in the side of her ears, through her ears. And the twine, well, it was propping her up, like, to smile. Um, that's creepy. Yeah. She was prepared to be displayed like a picture. And it was said later that he did have a lot of faces that were some were for wearing and others were just to put around the house as decoration look real neat you know so there are rumors that said that ed was a cannibal and it wasn't said and he would never admit to him actually doing that but there was a heart right next to the stove and that's why people think that it was cannibalism but i don't think so now folded in newspaper and stuffed in an old men's clothes there was Bernice Warden's entrails, her esophagus, her stomach, small and large intestines, and just all of her goods were just folded up in some newspaper, like meat packing. What was he planning to do with those? Just like leave them there? It was never said. I'm guessing there was no plan. Yeah. So there is just everything everywhere. His diet consisted of just pork and beans, so there were pork and beans everywhere. He never threw out anything that he ever used. Now, you might be wondering, huh, I wonder if he did any dishes. Oh, he made bowls. He made bowls of human skulls, and he would eat out of them. And he would later say, oh, you guys have no idea how hard it is to, f like, file it down to get it to be so smooth. It kept leaking. He's right. I don't have any idea how hard that might be. <laughs> yeah, thank God I don't have any idea. So in his bed frame, there was wads of gum. There's also a ton of boogers. Gross. There was also a rotten head sewed off at the jawbone. 
two human heads were stuck upon the bedpost. It sounds like he used those graveyards as his own personal Pier 1, and he just went in there for his interior decorating needs. (laughs) It gets worse. I wonder if they ever did, like, an Ed Gein line at, like... At Pottery Barn? Pottery Barn. (laughs) He had human lips sewed on the top and bottom of kitchen blinds, so when he opened them, they would look like they were kissing. Like in the kissing formation. He also put lipstick on them. And I don't know where he got lipstick because I don't think that Augusta weren't lipstick. So I'm not sure where the fuck he got them from. But you never know. Maybe it's just old Gein just getting some lipstick at the store. That oddball Ed. <laughs> he was just like, guys, I'm killing people. And everyone's just like, oh, Ed. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh-huh. I feel like he could have gone in and confessed to everything and the police would just be like, <laughs> Ed, so funny. <laughs> this is a, just a little inventory about what they found. He had four noses. You Sorry. can pick your friends and you can pick your nose. <laughs> and apparently, Ed you can pick your friend's it. nose. <laughs> Ed had nine vaginas in a box. Most of them were salted and treated so they wouldn't decompose. One, as an experiment, was painted silver to try to slow down the decomposing process. Bernice's vagina was wrapped in a red ribbon. So I don't know what made Bernice so special, but he wanted to keep more of her. So he did cut out more chunk, including a chunk of the anus. He also had four chairs woven with human skin. And he also made lampshades out of human faces. Ooh. Yeah, I hate that. Was this guy at this time that he was doing all this still working as a babysitter? I believe so. Oh, great. Yep. So that's fun. <laughs> they also found whole human bones and fragments all over the house. There was heads just everywhere. It was under couches, things like that. Just really fucked up, genuinely. <laughs> he also used human skin as like a cover for a hunting knife. You know how they like put it on the oh, side? Oh, sheath. Yeah, yeah, sheath. I can't say that word very well. So there were 10 human heads just randomly across the house. Some were very carefully placed in plastic, which I don't understand how he decided the ones that he, you know, just made so nice. So he also made a belt of human nipples, which I hate. (laughs) I'm sorry. Just imagine him just like, all right, got a babysit. Better put on my little belt. Would he wear that out of the house? I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to know. Can you imagine if somebody goes, oh, Ed, is your belt made of nipples? Huh, uh, you're so odd. <laughs> such an oddball. Where'd you get all those nipples? <laughs> it was said that Ed decided to go to Augusta's grave and take her head and make it into a mask. But it's not confirmed, but it's pretty fucked up. Either way, I believe it. Now, throughout the house, even though there's skulls everywhere, even though that there's all of these horrible things, chairs... There were children's toys and, like, Cracker Jacks toys just laying around, children's books. So you could really see how psychotic this man really was. He didn't understand anything that he was doing. He still didn't think at this point he was doing anything bad. There are reports that Mary's head was made into a mask. Others say that it was wrapped in a brown paper bag. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. Oh, my God. <laughs> These are a few of Ed's favorite things. Are we going to get sued? <laughs> I don't know. So while they were going through the house and looking through the inventory, they found two locked doors. They were just like, ah, fuck. I don't want to go in there. They were like, <laughs> they were just like, all right, guys, pick a number. High, low. Yeah. High, low. <laughs> High, low. Because you're going to open that door. I'm not going to open mm. that door. Fuck that. Mm. So they were absolutely petrified to open this door. Obviously. Once they opened it, though, they found Augusta's room and that sitting room completely untouched. Obviously, there was dust everywhere, but it was the cleanest rooms in the house. Everything else was disgusting. So Ed had 10 years to perfect all of this. He was just sitting there isolated, and he never threw anything out. So there's decades worth of stuff and garbage just in there. When Ed was told that police were in the house, the only concern he had was don't go into Augusta's room. Please don't touch it. Don't do this. And while they were interviewing him, anytime that Augusta was brought up, he would cry like the boy that he was back then. Now, Ed wouldn't talk for a little bit of the time. 
and he asked for apple pie with cheddar cheese on it. After uh, yeah. I've heard about that before, That's and disgusting. people say that it's delicious. I'm not about it. I used to eat apples with like cheese all the time. Yeah, apples and cheese is good, but apple I pie and never had weird. it on a pie. After he got this, though, he would admit to everything. The police actually didn't even believe him. They thought that all of the bodies were murders because it would make sense all of those people went missing. Turns out that's not the case. They also didn't believe him that he was grave digging because he was small. He was skinny. It's not like he could dig six feet down. So the police didn't believe him at all, and they actually went to Eleanor Adams. They actually found a grave to dig up because Ed remembered the name and he remembered where it was, and they had to, you know, get family approval to like exhume the body so that's exactly what they did and they found that only two feet down the casket was already cut open and they found exactly what was missing exactly what ed said on november 14th 1968 his trial lasted one week and he was found guilty of first degree murder but they found him also to be legally insane so he spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital, which he loved. He just loved being in there. He probably had more friends there than he had like in his entire life. He probably needed that mental hospital way earlier in oh, life. Oh, 100%. If everyone was just like, oh, that oddball Ed, they're just like, this guy needs a hospital. Yeah, it's like kind of sad because he definitely like needed help and couldn't express himself the way he wanted to and was struggling a lot. So it. It's really sad that this is, like, what it came to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, on March 20th, the day before the house and all of the things inside were supposed to be auctioned off, the house mysteriously burned down. Now, when Ed found out later that day, he just shrugged and said, just as well, like creepy-ass Ed does. On July 26, 1984, Gain died of respiratory and heart failure linked to cancer at the Mendota Mental Health Institution. His gravesite is in Plainfield next to his mother. It is unnamed. So, you know, people were taking Ed Gaines gravestone, shit like that. But he's back with mama. So that's nice. Just as he always wanted. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to dig up his grave and take his skin. Okay. Maybe don't do that, though. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's not there anymore. It's he died. Sure not he there died anymore. in 1984. If you want to journey with me to Wisconsin to dig up his grave and take his skin, just slide into our DMs. We're gonna we're gonna have a meetup. Okay, just don't wear anyone's skin. <laughs> I feel like that's number one. Ed Gein's unmarked grave. Everybody. <laughs> so, just a little side note. Um, Ed Gein's car was auctioned off in 1958. And this is the same car he used to haul bodies and body parts across. It was auctioned off to a man named Bunny Gibbons for $760. Ooh, cheap car. Yeah. So he would bring this to state fairs and charge people 25 cents to see it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this dude was trying to make money off of this murder. Keep in mind, in the same – one of the instances of the state fair – he went to it and he got, you know, a little booth and yeah, that's pretty cool. The Wisconsin Committee for Mental Health wanted a booth and they were just like, mm, sorry, we don't have any. So they picked this dude's fucking car over a booth for people's mental health. So Wisconsin, cheese curds, apple pie, and skin suits. <laughs> Wisconsin. So even in the 80s, they didn't really care about mental oh, health. Oh, fuck no. They just genuinely said, fuck Do that. you now, Wisconsinites? Yeah. Let us know. You can write us at deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at deaddrunkcrime. And like, I guess, Twitter and Facebook at. I don't think we've ever tweeted, but we definitely do have a Twitter at deaddrunkcrime. Teach us how to twit. Yeah, teach on us the the tweeters. Yes. the tweeters. So that is the case of Edward Theodore Gein. We did it. Yeah. Yay. I don't know why every time we're like, I'm like, oh my God, we got through it. Because, <laughs> so because every time it takes eight years and three babies. We had a sacrifice. <laughs> Bebes. Bebes. <laughs> so our caboose today is going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. I have recorded a special song inspired by Ed Gein that we're going to attach at the end. Oh, yeah. I hope you like it. It's going to be a journey. 
It's, and I I'm, love this journey. <laughs> I love this journey for us. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for Katie cases in the future. And yeah, so thanks for listening. Um, bye, mom. Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone. This is editing Tierney talking to you. I had a lot of trouble with the microphone, and I'm also sick, so this following song is recorded on Apple iPhone headphones, and is not exactly what we thought it would be, but we're going to attach it anyway. I hope you enjoy, and let us know if you want to hear things like this as our caboose in the future. All right, thank you. Bye. Let's go, girls. I'm going out tonight. I'm feeling all right. Gonna let it all hang out. Gonna make some noise and really raise my voice. Yeah, I wanna scream and shout. No. Make no conditions Get a little out of line I ain't gonna act politically correct I only wanna have a good time The best thing about being a woman Is the prerogative to have a little fun and